So how many mess-ups does it take before the results are irreversible? In baseball, you get three strikes and then you're out. If you get arrested for a DUI and are convicted, you immediately have your license suspended. How many times can you miss a work deadline before you miss a paycheck? Your girlfriend's birthday was last week and you forgot it. How many days until the chill is thawed? <laughs> and if you flirt with her girlfriend one more time, will the chill ever thaw? When have the mess-ups been so massively piled up that your hope is shut up? When was it that you came to the place that you said the picture-perfect world that you thought you would have has died, and it's all irreversible. So it's inevitable that there are those moments that I have, a, I have some time to watch a baseball game, and I'll sit down and begin to watch the Indians play, and, and eventually Pam will come in and sit down with me because we like just to cuddle when we have time to be with each other, and we'll sit there for a while, and, and inevitably, the boringness to her of a nine-inning game will collide and crash into her pent-up energy. And she'll eventually say, hey, what do you think's on channel 229? <laughs> I know what's on that channel, HGTV. And she is looking for episodes of Fixer Upper. Stop it. <laughs> it features a family parented by Chip and Joanne Gaines. And they take the worst house in the best neighborhood. They fix it up. They make it picture perfect. Because they have a picture perfect family. And they live on a picture-perfect farm with a picture-perfect business stemming from a picture-perfect marriage. And anything messed up can be fixed up within an hour. <laughs> so Pam and I were considering buying a house this last year. And and so we went into the house, and she went all fixer-upper all over the thing. She said, ooh, ooh, we could move this wall. She said, and, and, and these cabinets, we can move them over there. And, and, and then, oh, we'll, take, we'll just rip out these, these countertops, because I, I, I can picture it. These, ooh, I see it. And then all that carpet goes, because we're going to lay down hardwood floor. And then over here, we're going to put a farm sink. And I swear, if we had any shiplap, she'd put it right on there. <laughs> How hard could that be? So we have a friend who works construction. We brought him in, and he told her how hard that could be. <laughs> and she gave me this look like, man, I wish you were Chip Gaines. 
And I gave her a look and said, well, I wish you were Joanne Gaines. <laughs> look, some messes don't get fixed in an hour. Some friendships don't get fixed over a cup of coffee. And quite honestly, some families don't get fixed. And it's got to be somebody's fault because I wish you were somebody else. And the picture perfect dies. So for the next six weeks, Nicole and I are going to walk you through what has been described as the most beautiful short story ever written. But it starts amazingly with the most messed up family and a picture perfect world that crumbles. And it starts this way. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. And now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. How do you fix the irreversible? How do you handle massive messes? So I want to look at some of those messes that we may connect with. And, and the first one is this. It's where I live. So we heard the phrase, in the days when the judges ruled, and then we just go beyond it, but we've got to stop and see what they meant when they said, in the days that judges ruled, because when they wrote this, they knew exactly what he was saying. In the days when judges ruled was between the time that Joshua had conquered initially the promised land, that land that God called the place of milk and honey, that picture-perfect place. Between that time and the time that the monarchy was established and King Saul became the first king, in between that time, that land was a cesspool of moral and political decay. In fact, it's described this way in the book of Judges. At that time, there was no king in Israel. And now I want you to read with me the remainder of that. People did whatever they felt like doing. So Pam and I, several years ago, had just come back from a trip, and it was during the time that our, our daughter had, had left the house, and she was, she was out on her own, and we still had our two sons. And and we had gone on a trip, but didn't feel totally comfortable with that, when they were at that age to leave them there through the night by themselves. So we had a young adult come, and she would come in, and she would stay in the house during the night, but she worked during the day. And so everything, we said, how to go? Everything went fine. But when we got there, just something was amiss. Something just was, was, was off kilter in the house. First of all, Pam couldn't find her ironing board. It was just gone. I couldn't find a six-foot table. It was gone. I found my dress raincoat crumpled up in the bottom of the closet with pockets full of baking flour. We found a, a, a bent-up 
folding chair that didn't even belong to us that just appeared in the house. And Pam said, she said, come here, come here, come here. And we went into the guest bedroom, and there's a really nice king bed in there, but the mattress had been turned sideways. Well, that's just odd. We couldn't figure it out. We said, boys, anything go out? No, everything's fine. Well, eventually, a neighbor came in and said, you, you, you really should know this. He said, while you were gone, your youngest son, Dustin, held a WWF tournament at your house. <laughs> the ironing board was smashed over some poor guy. Two wrestlers crashed through my table. My raincoat had been used as a costume and which, from which they would pull out flour and throw into the opponent's eyes. The folding chair was bent because it was used to create a concussion on my son's head. And the mattress, they drug up from downstairs, out the door, laid it on the ground to cushion their fall when they jumped from the second story window while the neighborhood kids applauded. <laughs> what do you do when the place where you live seems no longer safe? Because people are doing whatever they like. Author Jerry Gifford says this about our present day, that day was not unlike today. Even then the world struggled with moral relativism Rampant immorality, excessive individualism, unrestrained self-expression, and inconsistent role models. Their message of morality was simple. Conform to nonconformity and tolerate everything except intolerance. That's where we live. How do you fix that? And what about those things that just are? Those things that you didn't count on. Those things that you didn't make happen. Those things that are out of your control. Those things that don't make sense. Those things that are unfair. It is what it is. Elimelech is a name that simply means God is my king. What a great name. I trust God. God is my king. He rules. That is a great name. And Elimelech was a nice guy, and, 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 and he had this thing with God, God is my king, and he had great taste in women because he married a woman named Naomi, and her name means sweet one. And everything is so good, it's picture perfect, it's sweet, and, it's, and he's got God, and it's just go, oh, such a great family. And then the proverbial other shoe drops. Then the bird of paradise poops somewhere in their house. And they have a baby, and they go, yay. No. There's something wrong with that baby. And they name that baby Malon, which means sickly. How would you like the name? Hi, this is my son, Sickly. It's tragic. But then they have another baby. Yay. No. Because this one is small. This one is weak. And they name him Chilean, which means pining away, wasting away. Can you just see it? Hey, pining, get your brother sickly. It's time to go to the doctor again. Such a nice couple. This is not fair, but it is what it is. A famine hits them, but it is what it is. 
An earthquake hits a village and, and people are wiped out. And you go, that's, that's not right. But it is what it is. You lost your job. You didn't even see it coming. It is what it is. Your mom got a diagnosis of cancer. How can that be? She's the most wonderful person in the world. But it is what it is. How do you fix that? I don't know anybody that loves his family more than Stephen. In fact, Stephen created his business so that it would wrap around his family so that he could always take care of his family. He could give his family jobs so that they actually would take over the business and where he could always be free to go with them to the curricular activities and spend every week with one of their children for a special day. He just created everything for that. And, and he, had this, he has this beautiful daughter. She's just gorgeous and she's just, her grades are just impeccable and she's a great athlete and he sends her to a, 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 a really good school, a good college, and she goes. It's not too far from where Pam and I had lived. And he, he calls us one day and says, I, I can't get a hold of her. She won't return my calls. Can you, can you find out what's going on? Now, we've been to the campus. We spent time with her, so we go. We can't find her. We eventually find out that she has actually dropped out to go live with a guy that she met in a trailer and his family business, including him, is that they're carnival people. They're carnies. And, and, and in Stephen's own words, he says, my baby girl has dropped out of school and she's run away to live with a carny. And the picture perfect dies. And the relationship of the family splinters. What do you do when you recognize I am a victim of bad choices. So there is this drought. And Elimelech says, we've got to have food. i got family to feed. And so I know they've, they've got to have food over in Moab, so I will just go to Moab. You go, great idea. Not if you believe what we studied last week. The beginning of the Bible says this. God spoke and said, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings, and he created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea, and birds in the air, and for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And last week, if you weren't here, please get the podcast, because you will get caught up where we are. But here's what it is. Imagio Dei, Latin for the image of God. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you, man and woman, and, and I'm, I'm putting my character in you. I'm putting m my nature on you. I am putting my, my, actually my glory on you so that we, we can be together. You're going to think like me. You're going to talk like me. You're going to walk like me. You're going to rule like me. And when you do, you're going to come together as one, and you're going to give birth. Not only will you be image bearers, but you'll be image makers, and you'll create a family, and that family will be my Imagio Dei, and, and you will take this paradise where you'll expand it out, and over this entire earth, as the families grow, you will create the image of me. You will bring my blessing and my authority throughout this earth so that you can stand anywhere in this world, look out and go, image of God. That's our creator. Great except they messed up. 
because that first family believed a lie that God is just another experience on this earth and there's a whole lot of other experiences out there. And so we'll put him on our list of really nice things that we can enjoy, but then we're gonna go out and experience life on our own. See, what they didn't understand, and I'm afraid that we don't understand very often is this, and I wanna explain it to us this morning, this whole idea of God's providence. God's providence reveals that God has a plan. And even in our messy world, he is ready to fix that which seems irreversible. God is not an experience. God is a every moment encounter that transforms all other experiences. He transforms them for the good. Paul the Apostle dealt with that when he wrote to the church in Rome and he said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Elimelech's intentions were good, but the problem was he decided to do that outside of God's providence. Going to Moab would be the same as going, if you will, to Sodom. Because when Lot left Sodom, that, that, that horribly destructive place, the place that was so evil, God said, I've got to get rid of that because it's infecting the earth. As Lot left, he lost his wife and just had his two daughters, and they panicked and said, all mankind's being destroyed. We'll never have a family. So what they did, and don't tell me not hanging out with evil people won't, won't, won't have some kind of bearing. They said, well, we got to fix this. And so they got their father drunk and got impregnated by him. That is when people decide to do whatever they decide they want to do outside of God's providence. The oldest daughter was named Moab, representing people who decide to do what they want to do because it's what they want to do, and it's outside of God's providence. For Elimelech to leave the land of God's promise to go to Moab would be and I really can't give you a really great comparison, but the closest I can come right now is it'd be like leaving Billy Graham's house to take your family to live at the red light district in Amsterdam. And that decision had really long-lasting consequences. His poor choice positioned that family to be infected by a culture that would work to split them up and split them up from the providence of God and the inheritance, the destiny that God had for them. In fact, the Bible calls it a place of thorns and snares. And his decision only exacerbated the problem because then dad and the two boys die, leaving this woman, this wife, with two daughters-in-law and no family around them, no imagio day to be there to protect. How do you fix that? Right after I was born, I was born in Nebraska, right after we were born, somewhere in the first year, my parents packed up my two other siblings and, and moved us to Westfield, New York. My dad took on a church there that was very small and struggling. And it, it, it was, it was a, a faith thing on his part because there was not a whole lot of support. And we lived in a, a parsonage that used to be a hotel. I was talking to the foundations class about that this week. So it used to be a hotel, and when we moved in, the numbers were still on the doors. So it would make it easy for our parents to say, hey, 
You're disobeying. Go to room five. <laughs> and the other thing that I, I remember as I got older in that place is that there were rats. Rats infested everywhere. My dad used to go down and, and sit in the kitchen in the dark and wait till a rat came up and then shoot it with a 22. So in the middle of the night, you hear, bang! And you hear, woohoo! So I want to talk to you a minute about about how God takes his providence and wraps it around us. And this is going to be a little bit of exception to the rule, but this is a true story. The temptation that he would have in that situation is, my family's going to starve if I don't do something. And, And that temptation was to leave that place that he knew that God, by his providence, had brought him there, this land of God's presence for him, Westfield, New York. And the temptation was, let's go find another place. Let's move out of here. But instead of leaving God's providence and that presence, he said, I'm going to push myself into the presence of God. And so he did this thing that later he would mentor me in called waiting on God. And you know the scripture, many of you, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word wait has, has, has three really important root words. Bind, intertwine, and expect. So that he would get into God's presence uninterrupted and he would pray and he would, he would bind himself to God's providence. You told me to be here, I'm here. I'm not moving because you put me here. But you've got to do better because this is not working out. Intertwining his, his concerns and his needs and the family needs with, with who God is. With, with God's compassion, with, with God's resources, and the expectation that everything that God would do would be for the good. So, in 1958, Will Rogers Jr. was the host of the CBS Morning Show. And he, and he did that for just about a year. And following him, after the year, he was... He was replaced by, and some of you who love breakfast sausage will recognize this name, Jimmy Dean, who at that time was an actor and a singer, and then when that didn't work out, he had to make sausages. (laughs) Now, during the one year that Will Rogers Jr. was hosting the CBS Morning Show, my parents were watching, and, and he said, during that year, if anybody has a talking dog... We'll pay you $500 a word. Just come on the air and we'll show that. Well, my dad had noticed that our boxer made sounds like words. So my dad began working with the dog and eventually got him to say things like, I want my mama. (laughs) Hamburger. I want out. And also the Apostles' Creed. (laughs) Okay, the last part's not true. So my dad contacted CBS. CBS said, well, sure. So they sent two train tickets, one for my dad, one for the dog, and they took the train to New York, and they put him up in a really nice hotel in Manhattan, a room with two beds, one for my dad, one for the dog. (laughs) And my dad went on the program. The next day, he was back on the train with $2,000 in his pocket and a bona fide talking dog. (laughs) That is God's providence. You say, Reisner, you're a liar. I am not. 
There are still people in Westfield that remember that. There is this thing about the providence of God that in those tough moments when you're not sure you want to be there, but you know this is the land of his presence for you, and it's just rough. But you say, this is, this is your providence. This is, I'm putting myself in your place. He says, I will take care of you. Elimelech didn't get that. God's providence surrounds us, and to leave that place that God has planted us and our family without knowing God's intentions can create negative impacts. And, you all, and when you do that, you begin to leave the place of God's provision. Because after Elimelech left Palestine, God brought food into that country to care for the families. So where does that leave you when bad choices are made? Where does that leave Naomi when bad choices are made? How do you fix that? So hear me clearly this morning. And this is the great thing about God's providence. We can leave God, but he hasn't left us. Now, I'm not suggesting that Elimelech could have gone for five, six years, come back home, and everything would just be wonderful, because when you leave God's providence, you leave provision, you, you mess up the system, because when he came back, he would have had to run off the predators and, and the enemies that would have taken over his land. He would have had to redo the land. He would have had to make it fertile again. He would have had to get all those weeds out of there. He'd have had to make it so that it could bear crops. He would have had to rebuild his house. It's, it's not easy, but he could have. What we're going to discover in the next week is as we follow this story, we'll discover two women who will believe in God's providence. And Naomi will decide that my husband and my son-in-laws are dead, but it does not mean I have no protector or provider. And she'll choose to go back to the place of God's presence, and the providence of God will get her there. But understand that as we're expecting God to fix our destiny, he first begins by fixing us. There is a promise of providence, and it's described this way in Psalm 37. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives, and though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. So let me, let me just break down all the words and what they mean, and I'll put it this way. The steps of a righteous person, the godly person, actually means, it's a word that is used for warrior, and it means this. The person who is a, a one who really fights hard to keep God as the glue in their lives. We talked about that last week. Those people who try to get God in the center of this thing and really work hard, and I know we mess up, but you're really trying. That person, as they walk life, they'll find literally that the steps or the pace that you are taking in life is fixed. It's provided for. The wording actually means, in some places, that as you're walking, the ground will come up under your feet and be solid for you. 
so that your road is covered with God's favor. It doesn't mean that you absolutely have from God go to point A to point B, point C, point D. Instead, because you love him and he's the glue of your life, he said, start walking to what you think you should be and I'll make that ground get you there. And if it's not the right way, I'll turn you. Because you'll hear a voice behind you saying, go to the left, go to the right. But I'm gonna get you there. And though there'll be times that you mess up, there'll be the times that you fall, says, you will not be sent out. You will not be kicked out because it's not irreversible. For the Lord, the self-existent creator, will give you his hand. And his hand always means his direction and his power. He will give you his hand for you to lean upon so that you can return to your inheritance. And some of you sit here today and you think somebody else's choices or your own have messed you up so bad you can never get to the best. Don't believe the lie. Because when you get in his providence, nothing is irreversible. So my friend, Stephen, spent a lot of time waiting on God for his daughter to return from her Moab. And while he was waiting, God was fixing him. He was fixing his faith. He was fixing his anger. He was fixing his bias against carnies, dealing with his prejudices, making him a better man. You say, well, she, did she come back from Moab? Well, in a way. You say, well, what? She, she left him and came back home and, and married a, a rich Christian entrepreneur. No. She did ask forgiveness for her deception. And then she married the carny. And for several decades now, they have traveled the circuit with games of chance and and rides, and they live the life of carnies, and if you know much about carnies, it's not a great life, and it's, it's a tough life, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a rough life. But somewhere in all of that, in the providence of God, as Stephen gave it back to God and said, okay, you gotta take care of my family, because the providence is you, you got a plan, this is not irreversible. In that process, his daughter and that son-in-law, that carney, came in contact with God's providence and they submitted their lives to a faith walk with Jesus. And then they had grandkids. And so not only do they travel now in the Kearney circuit and have their games of chance and have their rides, but in the midst of all of that, you know what they are? Imagio Dei, the image of God in a place that no one would ever think you would find the image of God, but God's providence took them there. And in their off-season, when they're not around doing the, the carny thing, they're at home in a little town outside of Vegas, known for its legal prostitution, being Imagio Day, And volunteering and working with the youth of the community. And just about a year ago, they were credentialed as youth pastors. And the family, oh, it's healed up. 
And now they see how God can take even poor decisions and make it this wonderful, masterful plan. But it's just not always easy. But you can trust his providence. God's providence doesn't leave us even when we leave him. He still has plans for us to get us to home, get us to the place we need to be. And oh, by the way, by the time in six weeks we end our journey with Naomi and Ruth, we will see that this messed up family who had nothing and no one has more than they ever could imagine. Because when that family meets the providence of God, it will actually bring forth the image of God in a way that will impact the world. Because from Naomi's life, from her heritage, will come the one that we will call Jesus, the Messiah. Because Naomi is willing to move herself into the providence of God and let him fix the family, God takes that family and he creates out of that family the one who will fix the world. That's God's providence. That's Imagio Dei. And I can say with all certainty that he can fix your world too. That, that as you trust him, as you, as you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to try to figure out how to follow you and your plan, that, that you will see his image in the world around you, but also the people in the world around you will see his image in you. That is his plan. So before we leave here today, I want to be able to pray over you that if you're struggling with or dealing with finding your place in God's providence, you're dealing with it is what it is and it's just not fair. You're you're dealing with it's where I live. You're dealing with somebody with poor choices and you say, but God's providence can take me beyond that. It's time for you to put it in his hands because you can just sit here and listen and go, yeah, and and just say, it makes sense, but it makes sense doesn't work. Putting it into action makes it work. Because then becomes this transformative thing because God is not an experience. God's not an experience this morning. God is an encounter all week long who then transforms every experience into that which is good. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you just to, I'm just going to take a moment and I want to pray with you. And, and so, and I just want to get close to you. So if, if this morning you want to say, I just really need to fall into God's providence for a situation I'm dealing with. I just need something fixed in my life. And I want to be in his, his plan. I want to be in his presence. I want, to, I want to do what Naomi ends up doing. Would you just come stand here with me? People will make room for you. Just come here. That's it. Come on. We're community. Come on. And while they're coming, I just want to say to you, if you say, well, Ben, how do you even, how do you even begin to understand God? And that's why Jesus came. And if you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus, this one who fixes worlds, 
then, then either contact the office or even stop by the information desk and say, I want to know more about Jesus, and we'll get somebody to talk with you today, and we'll even give you a gift to help guide you that direction because it is a wonderful journey. So I want to, I want to pray over you a blessing right now. And as I'm doing that, would you do this? Would you just say, God, I'm, I'm taking what just seems to be irreversible and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to do my best and now begin to follow your plan for me. And that's why we're here together because, because we help speak into each other's lives to get you there. Because a journey was never, never expected to be done by you by yourself. It has to be family. So we can help you find the image of God for your life, the Imagio Dei. So now I pray over you that you'll become a warrior for God. I pray over you that you will begin now to, to insist that he be the glue in your life. That as you walk this week, the steps and even the pace you walk, you will find the ground rising up to your feet. You'll find that it's not so hard right now for you. That you will have faith to believe that he's, he's walking you through your week and even through your day, or for some of you, even minute by minute. And that you will find that your road is covered with his favor. And in those moments, you begin to think, oh, he's not here. You'll say, God, show me you, because he will. Because his favor is with you. And in those moments that you mess up, in those moments you go back to a previous pattern in your life, I pray that you recognize that he is still there. He is still the God who comes running to you. And that he will not kick you out. He will not say you have lost it. He does not say that you get second best or third best or nothing. He won't say that to you. Because it's not irreversible for you. That he has a plan for you. He has a beauty of life that he wants to give to you. His son paid for it all already. So the evil in this world would be, would be pushed back. And you would find the beauty of a God who loves you. And yes, you will go through tough times. But he is still there. And that the self-existent creator will give you his hand. He'll give you your, his power and his direction for you to lean upon. And that he's given you this community to lean upon. He's given you the Holy Spirit, the one that you can lean upon. And you will not be alone. But you will make it through. And you will return to the inheritance that he has designed for you. For that is his plan, and that is why he sent Jesus into this world. I seal this now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.